Club.html is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. everybody i'm nico and i'm kevo and this is mcu.html here with a breaking emergency episode breaking news so tap into the marvel cinematic universe in the last month and i kind of feel like there was no way not to talk about it yeah it was a lot of big things but none of them really felt big enough to get their own response episode individually once they all piled on top of each other though we were like yeah we got to talk about some of this stuff and I can't think of anywhere to start, but at the top, quick note, just want to say congratulations, Black Panther, on being the first ever Oscar-winning Marvel movie. Yeah, absolutely. Huge deal, great job, great night, Wakanda forever. Ludwig Goranson, as I have spoken repeatedly, definitely has my heart. I've always loved his works. It's really cool to see composers that I love be recognized so much, and for Black Panther to not just win music, but, you know, multiple categories. Absolutely, and deservedly so. Not too much more to say about Black Panther other than it was recognized the way it deserved to be. Now, from one movie's amazing accolades a year after its release to a movie who's finally here, finally happening, and hugely successful. Doing real well, yeah, Captain Marvel. Now, we've already seen it twice. We saw it in 3D before it opened, and then we saw it in IMAX a week later, and I'm going to be honest, the IMAX showing was better. I thought the 3D showing was a little hard to look at sometimes, but I loved it. I'm such a big Captain Marvel fanboy. I've been reading a lot about the numbers it's made and about how that affects, you know, whether or not they're going to do more female-led movies or more movies with this particular budget or more women directors. And the truth is, this movie came between Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. There was sort of no way it wasn't going to be a hit. The only other movie to come out in this time was Ant-Man and the Wasp. And what's kind of crazy is Captain Marvel has already out-earned Ant-Man and the Wasp easily. And you would have thought that Ant-Man and the Wasp would have had a natural lead-in from Infinity War in a way that would have driven it home, especially not to get too ahead of ourselves, but especially once the news of the post-credits scene hit the internet. Yeah, we only had so many movies to tide us over between Avengers films. And I was looking at the list of highest grossing films of all time and seeing which of the Marvel films are still in the top 20. One of them being Iron Man 3, which is widely regarded as not the best Iron Man film. But when I considered the fact that that was the first one after the Avengers in 2012, of course there was a boom. People would get excited for the next stage to see what's going to happen next. And after such an enormous cliffhanger as Infinity War, I agree, you would think that alone would have been a draw, if not then the reveal that there was an important mid credit scene having to do with Infinity War. And yet here we are, not even two full weeks into Captain Marvel's run, and it's earned back its budget, it's already worldwide becoming one of the highest grossing Marvel Cinematic Universe films. 
It's already beaten a number of other films. Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Thor, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World, Doctor Strange, and The Winter Soldier. And it looks to be doing really well. I'm really excited. And it was a really important moment because it took 20 films to get a woman's name in the title of the film. 21 films to get her her own film. And I feel like, you know, you could say that there's women in the Avengers and there's women in the Guardians. And that's the name of the movie and it's the name of the team. But I don't think that that's the same thing as embracing the idea of a woman hero, of a female hero. And I think in a lot of ways, we're going to talk more about it when we do the episode, but Captain Marvel really was a movie that I feel like anybody who is a minority or not believed in could relate to. I thought it was a very queer film. It was a film about knowing you're different inside and having these conflicting feelings and wanting to find a way to express it. and. It was a really powerful movie. I really enjoyed it. I thought the relationship between Carol and Maria was spectacular. I thought the relationship between Nick and Carol was spectacular. I thought the relationship between me and Carol was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily want to even get too far into it because we're still going to have our own episode coming up. But I definitely enjoyed the hell out of Captain Marvel. I think it is one of the best origin films of the entire MCU. I think they did a good job of not keeping it predictable. The film opens on a mystery, and I think that was a rather unique choice to make to have the lead character so confused as the audience is. Build the film out of that. And I think that's a great note to leave off on because I think we're just like five movies away from doing our Captain Marvel episode anyway. So I'm really excited. It was super great. We had a great time. I highly recommend seeing it in IMAX if you still can. It was really a powerfully great experience. And speaking of non-spoilers, one of the first things that we wanted to touch on is specifically that there is not a new trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home attached to Captain Marvel. I was a little bit surprised to see that, and I am definitely curious for the reasoning behind it. I'm disappointed for sure. And what's been important this entire film is Marvel felt very burned by things that happened with Civil War and spoilers. And they again felt burned with spoilers relating to Infinity War. And I think we're seeing a new age in Marvel trying to control things. We've heard rumor that they certainly didn't want this film coming out anytime soon. But Sony gets to set the Spider-Man release dates. So that means Sony's in control of when the Spider-Man movie goes, and by gosh, Sony wanted it really close to Endgame. Which you can obviously understand, especially with what we mentioned earlier about how there was such a significant bump for the first film after the original Avengers Assemble. You can't blame them, really can't, but at the end of the day, I have thought that this Spider-Man movie was a really weird choice, so... Knowing with a little bit more background information that Disney didn't set when this movie went, it doesn't surprise me that they're being much more tight-lipped about this film and its spoilers. They said that the two first trailers for Avengers Endgame contained no footage outside of the first 20 minutes of the film. And I think something that we're seeing is a much smarter 
Marvel Studios. Kevo made a comment that he couldn't figure out why a certain scene made it into the Guardians 2 trailer from the end of the movie. And Marvel really wasn't at kicking ass and taking names when it came to trailers and spoilers yet. After a number of weird different things leaked things like titles on resumes and surprise characters from toy packages... I'm shocked that I didn't know Red Skull was in Infinity War till the moment I did. I think if I'm surprised about anything, it's that they didn't at least put the international trailer in front of the movie, you know? Because I'm pretty sure the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer has been attached to films before this one, and at the very least it would have been like kind of like seeing new footage, it would have been on the big screen. I imagine there's like reasons that they couldn't or wouldn't you know, just something that isn't the same trailer you've already seen if you went to a different movie. That's all. I think the international trailer only has about 25 seconds of differences, we ultimately said. And I don't know if it was worth it to get all the hullabaloo together to send it over or something. Who knows? Probably. But speaking of trailers that I have seen far too much of, the Dark Phoenix trailer. Okay, I'm just... So, if you listen to X's for Podcast, you know that I'm obsessed with X-Men. If you listen to this show, you know I'm obsessed with X-Men. If you listen to pretty much any show I'm on or meet me, you'd know I'm obsessed with X-Men, Phoenix in particular. So, I'm not excited about this film in the first place. I just need to say that. But I also do need to say that this trailer is the anti-Endgame trailer. With Endgame, they are playing it so close to the vest, but... We definitely see Gene kill Mystique. Or something. The whole trailer seems so weird and non-linear. I feel like that sequence that opens the trailer where, like, Gene is shaking and crying. I think that that comes before the stuff where we see that Mystique seems to be fine on a spaceship. So I don't know that she kills Mystique. I don't, I don't know what's going on in this trailer. I don't really know. I can't make heads or tails of what the story is going to be. And with the craziest thing that's coming out of Fox Marvel right now being that New Mutants might be delayed until Disney Plus and maybe a Disney Plus direct title, there's been a number of stories that current Fox execs are feeling that Disney Marvel is purposely killing Dark Phoenix and that is definitely a not an unsurprising feel that they may have. And not something that I'm shocked to hear somebody might say in a kind of like complicated buyout. But the truth is, it doesn't seem like Disney's the one killing Dark Phoenix. I think attaching the guy who wrote X3 to the movie was kind of a not great move. We'd already seen his take on Phoenix. And since before the merger, this is the third set of reshoots. Yeah, and I think the thing that's saddest to me is remembering, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, at the beginning of this decade when X-Men First Class was such a surprise hit and such a critical darling and people were so happy with it and it was such a great revitalization of the X-Men film franchise and now here we are at the other end of the decade with it sort of just petering out. I remember you made an observation at one point that they completely dropped the X title from this film. It is just Dark Phoenix. There is no X-Men Dark Phoenix. There's nothing like that. And it's almost like they preemptively don't want the name associated. It's really sad to see for this franchise that made a lot of stars out of its leads. 
and is still using a lot of great stars. I don't think that it is Sophie Turner's fault. I like bits that I've seen of her performance, but on the other hand, it's hard to tell anything from a trailer. So, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, unfortunately. And there's got to be some amount of allowance and leeway made for actors who are forced to record these things in three, four different batches of scenes where they're getting Reeve scripts and new dialogue, and they're told, well, now their intentions there had to change, so I know that scene is done and we can't change that scene, but this scene needs to make that scene make sense, and they're doing the best they can do. It's just a nightmare of a situation, again, for a beloved project. Yeah, hopefully with the Disney acquisition of Fox and... X-Men coming back under the same banner as so many other Marvel properties, we will start to see a little bit more love put into that franchise as we enter the 2020s. And that takes us to the third and final Endgame trailer. We rewatched the first two, we watched the third one again. I feel like I've seen genuinely four minutes of this movie from really random angles. Yeah, and from what I believe I have heard, a lot of these scenes are taken majoritatively from the very beginning of the film, which is a really interesting thing to note. That specifically means that Captain Marvel probably joins very early in the movie. It means that Scott must join them very early in the movie. It looks like they're not going to really waste time. And they're going to hit the ground running on this plot. And that really makes you wonder, what is the rest of that quoted three-hour runtime going to end up being? One of the things that stood out to me this rewatch is Scott Lang's picture is up on one of the digital boards as someone missing. So they must think he's been dusted. So when he shows up, I wonder if that shock on their face isn't like, oh, look. He's back. It's like, oh my God, look, it can be undone. It can be undone. He's back. Oh my God. And that's got to be super early in the film. There's so much that I'm just like, I'm itchy at this point trying to get to. We haven't seen a lot of things. You know, there were some things in the trailer that a lot of people are extrapolating different interpretations of that I don't get. Everyone is saying that the young woman that Clint is practicing archery with must be Kate Bishop. And I'm like, y'all remember he has a daughter, right? And that him losing his family is probably the motivation for him to become Ronan as we see in the film. So they were probably showing him with his daughter to engender sympathy. Like, am I crazy for thinking that? I keep thinking it would be a really awkward way to introduce Kate Bishop, if nothing else. One of the things that Marvel needs to be thinking about right now is no matter how they reshape this, their mistake out the gate was making it clear five years ago this was an endpoint. Not to mention they named the damn thing Endgame. This is going to be the point where a lot of people say afterward, I'm okay, I don't think I gotta go to the next one. And that's going to change how people react to these films. I don't think you can like one-off Kate Bishop in like that. The other side of that coin being, this is where a lot of people are going to say, oh, this is a good jumping on point for me to start investing in actively having an interest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially with the way they handle things like diversity is starting to turn, with Black Panther being an enormous franchise, Captain Marvel doing so well. They recently put out a casting call saying they're looking for openly queer superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of different people are going to start taking notice of this and wanting to jump on. So 
whatever they end up doing with this film is going to have to be very carefully executed. I like the optimism, and I hope that's how it turns out. I'm more afraid that people are going to use this as a jumping off point, and we're going to see some big transition to, like, I don't know, Netflix. Everyone's just going to just stay home and watch Netflix. Disney+. Plus. Well, I'm really looking forward to those Disney Plus shows, and that also factors into this conversation. All those Disney Plus shows that they've promised us. How do those fit into Endgame? They're now saying that the two-season pickup on S.H.I.E.L.D. for seasons six and seven are because they are the two final seasons. Like, there's all this information, and now all of Marvel Netflix is canceled, but there's an entire Hulu Marvel animation block. I can't even figure out where this universe is going. And we keep hearing things from people involved, like we're not giving up hope quite yet. Like we could still somehow see Marvel Netflix appear again somewhere, somehow. A lot of things are up in the air. But one of the things that was up in the air until recently that was pretty big news this week. Like they heard our episode or something, but Marvel was like, you know, these guys made a case for James Gunn somehow. And James Gunn reinstated to... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, he will be directing, which honestly just surprises the hell out of me. I by no means, as you can tell from our episode, think the man needed his career ruined or needed to be punished. I felt that he could have apologized more thoroughly. And ultimately, as Kevo pointed out, he was contrite and kind and never once lashed out at Disney. And I think that we really are seeing people learn to apologize in an important and meaningful way. You know, it's funny. One of the articles that I read from comicbookreader.com compared the James Gunn situation to Kevin Hart, specifically drawing the parallel that James Gunn did apologize and is contrite about his previous behavior, no matter how many times it's brought up. Whereas Kevin Hart just insists on digging his heels in and saying, I apologized. I should never have to address it again. James Gunn has no problem saying, yeah, I was a stupid kid back then, and I regret it, but I can't erase it. I think that that really helped a lot in gendering sympathy from myself, from everyone around him. You know, I'm curious about what inspired Disney to ask him back to the project. I think it is significant to note that they did not do anything until it was clear that the entire cast was coming back despite their adamant protest of his firing and it also came after it was announced that they would continue using his script with or without him so the bigger news was on his end he was confirmed to be on suicide squad 2 which became his suicide squad soft reboot which then became his suicide squad soft reboot with a new cast and is only carrying one person over so he got the blank slatest blank slate he could get And also, it's been pointed out by a lot of people that there isn't a Marvel movie in production right now, and this is sort of the first time for that in a really long time, but we don't know when anything is coming out after Spider-Man in July. There's no news of Black Panther 2 because Ryan Coogler is like the busiest man. There's no news yet of a definitive Captain Marvel 2, and in fact, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 films after Suicide Squad, per James Gunn. On top of the fact that we still don't know who lives, who dies, who tells their stories when it comes to the MCU after Endgame. We don't know who's going to survive 
other than people who have contracts for a sequel. I think I mentioned in the Doc Strange episode that there was news as recently as December that the director would be returning along with Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Wong, and Rachel McAdams, which that's a trio to bring back for Doc Strange, but sure. No word on when it would go into production, though, or anything like that. And the queer lead that you're talking about Marvel looking to cast is apparently intended to be the Eternals. The Eternals seem to be Marvel's way of backtracking that they were going to go heavy into the Inhumans. I don't blame them. It did not do well. It did not go well for the comics either. In fact, at one point, the Inhumans had four titles or so going, and now they aren't even in the proper Marvel printing schedule. So I am fascinated to see how this is all going to shake out. I think the only other future projects that I have heard anything about, still without any confirmation, is the potential for a Black Widow film and a director being hired for the Shang-Chi film. But again, no word on release dates, when they'll be going into production, a lot's up in the air. It's a wild time after... 11 years of having a pretty distinctive, clear roadmap most of the time. A lot of stuff got flipped around at different points. Captain Marvel got moved forward, moved back. Black Panther got moved forward, moved back. All these different little changes here and there, but I don't think that we've ever had blank canvas before us in this way. It's important to note that, as of right now, the next movie after Spider-Man could be the next Spider-Man. Because there really is nothing in development. Marvel has said on numerous occasions that after Endgame has come out, they will make clear announcements about what is what. Same thing with the Disney Plus content. All I know is that the rumors are they have no idea how to get the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Franchise because it is such a big idea to try and find a way to move that back in. And yet, with the way that they play with our emotions and do these twists and turns, there could be a mid credit sequence with Hugh Jackman, for all we know. It's maddening, but, you know, we still have so much more time to be maddened by it, to discuss it in the episodes we still have yet to record, and in our Avengers Endgame pregame. So, until then, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. You can also check out our work on our awesome webcomic, Kid Riot, as well as its sequel, Riot Squad, over at KidRiotComics.com. As for myself, you can check me out over on X's for Podcast with occasional appearances by Kevo, as well as our awesome co-hosts, Jonah, the most wonderful boyfriend in the world, and our best friend, Kyle, where we take a look at the uncanny x-men comic book franchise starting with giant size x-men number one you can also check me out on now and again where i talk music with my best friend from childhood chris and if you're enjoying what you hear here why don't you go over to the patreon and help shape the future of the network and toss them a couple dollars and if you want to check out pictures of me i'm over on instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n all right Next time, we'll be swinging in with Spider-Man. Hey, it's actually funny. Our last, ooh, quick, get it in emergency episode was for Spider-Man. And this one, bumped Spider-Man. Aw, dip, thwip, thwip.